again, ladies and gentlemen. Ghost Nobody here, ready to bring you Chapter 25 of Hunter Hunted Hybrid Wars. My third trip into the Clan Mason field of things. Always, if you can like, share and subscribe to this wherever you can, and leave feedback at sites like fanfiction.net, archiveofourown.org, or even at my own website, ghostnobody.com. All of your thoughts and feelings are always appreciated, and I always love reading what you guys have thought, and what you're thinking, and the directions you want me to go in. And if you do pop over to ghostnobody.com, why don't you check out Stormrider while you're there? My original story told on that one site and that one site only. And you know, if big girly dragon-esque girls, orcs, elves, magical realms, multiple worlds and undead are your thing, check it out, I'm pretty sure you'll enjoy it. And also while you're there, why don't you check out the ghostly link section. Pick yourself up a copy of Mortis from either Smashwords or from Amazon. Help support me and keep me doing what I love. Bringing unlikely alien romance stories to you, good people. So, without any further ado, let's get on with the show, shall we? Oh, but first, the usual legal disclaimer. I don't own AVP or anything to do with it. This is all fan fiction. I'm just here to keep the Huntresses happy. Let's get on with the show. Chapter 25. Rumble in the Jungle. As Vippy had said, the command prides were not exactly pleased about Smoke's rescue winding up on the broadcast networks. But they were pleased about his growing praise for the surface stalker units. According to them, the recruitment for that for the units had gone up six hundred percent pretty much immediately after Smoke's interview was aired on Pride Life Today News. They were taken aback by the news that Vippy's Pride status had now been updated to a married Pride list. And they could do nothing about it, as under Raptorian law, once marriage was sanctified before the High Priestess's Pride, it was sealed. And it also now marked Vippy's pride as the first pride to ever mar marry outside of their own species. But the most extreme reaction was to smoke. Outlining his plans to return to the surface was many surface stalkers as he, he could spare to meet up with Clan Mason. Absolutely not. We cannot and will not allow a male to set foot on the surface of this planet. It's too dangerous, they yelled. Smoke kept his cool and took a deep breath. So am I your prisoner then? He asked flatly. They balked at that. No, of course not, they exclaimed. Well then, you have no right to hold me. I am both a soldier and a diplomat of a sovereign nation. To hold an ambassador, either prisoner or hostage, is an act of war against said nation. We are doing our best to become your allies here. Now I appreciate what you're trying to do and your feelings on the matter. But I also appreciate the fact that it's not how your species do things. But, remember, I am not of your species. And I'm going to be blunt here. I find this coddling to be downright disrespectful and pretty much borderline sexist. Just because I'm a male makes me no less of a warrior than any of my blood-averred surface stalker wives sat right next to me. I appreciate the dangers up there full hand. I saw them firsthand with my own eyes while I was up there. But I will not allow my brothers and sisters to fight this battle without me. I am a sworn hunter of Clan Mason, and it is my sworn duty. I will not allow you to force me to betray my people, he said flatly, without any kind of malice in his voice. The command bride sat there in jaw-dropped silence at this, looking at one another, seeking answers. Meanwhile, Smoke decided to push his advantage. You say you will not allow males to the surface. Did you forget that there are already males up there? 
or do you intend to kidnap them and force them underground too for their own protection? Smoke asked, using quotation fingers on the word prote protection. No, of course not, the command pride spluttered. Well then, please explain to me how their present up there is any different to my own, he asked. That had them stumped. He could see they wanted to argue the fact that he was already down here and that meant that he was safe. But they could not do so, as he had already accused them of walking a line of outright sexism towards him. And given that he had now taken on an ambassador's role, that would be a rather stupid move to insult a potential ally like that. If I should fall up there, it would be due to no fault of the Raptorian people. No one here would be held accountable for it. It is war, and it is messy, and it is horrific. But me hiding from it does no one any good, and most certainly not when I have the tools and expertise both mine and your people need to help break the blackout of communication. We are here to win this, and they need me up there in order to help break that scrambling, Smoke said. But, but, but you're the hero of Raptoria, the alien male who saved males from a mimic. If you should fall, it will devastate many, they replied quietly. If I should fall, I will have no doubt that it will be by the sides of my beloved wives. What better tale could you tell to people to inspire them? Do you want to tell the tale of the male who came to your world and hid in an underground like a coward? Or to tell the tale of the alien male who came to your world, saved males, fell in love with your brave surface stalkers before taking to the surface to stand alongside them and to fight for Raptoria, just as her own brave warriors do? He asked, and with that, the trap closed. The command parade buckled. They relented to Smoke's demand and requests. But they did insist on sending numerous surface stalker prides with him to the RV point, where Smoke was to meet up with his squad, which, to be fair, was exactly what Smoke had wanted all along. But he could see that Vippy and the others were still visibly uneasy about taking their new husband anywhere near the surface. But after his display in the command pride meeting room in the and in the temple, they weren't going to challenge the decision, but he could still see that it did disturb them. So as they all walked to the squad briefing room to brief the other surface stalker prides, he put his arms around the six of them walking in the middle of his pride. Don't worry girls, it'll be alright. You'll see. And what after I saw here happen today, I'm sure the eternal huntress and great tree will have our backs. It'll all be okay. You'll see, he said. Their closeness drew some very curious glances from passing prides as they passed by. But Smoke and his girl paid them no mind, as each of them was proud to be part of this interspecies pride they had formed together. The first of its kind. But by some of the looks that they were getting, Smoke figured it was probably not going to be the last. The briefing room was packed to the gills. There had to be a hundred surface stalkers in there. And as Smoke and his pride entered and took stage at the front of the whole room, they all stared at him open-mouthed. All right, ladies. You've been summoned here because you're the best of the best, the elite, the ones who dared to tread where only the day bravest dare set foot. And today, we're going to prove our worth to Raptoria up there on the surface of our planet. It has an enemy who dares to defile a soil of our home with their unwelcome presence. But up there also is an ally waiting for us to make contact. This is our pride male and husband, Hunter Smoke. He is also a surface stalker too. Just like all of us. And what's more, 
he stalked our surface alone and lived, Nippy and her pride said together. This drew gasps of amazement, not to mention looks of awe and curiosity. Up there waiting for us are others just like him. They're called Clan Mason, and they came here after receiving the word of the invasion from our friends the Serpentinus. The Serpentinus are allies of Clan Mason after they've recently followed an attempted assassination of the Royal Pack and of the Serpentinus close slitherers, who, before anyone asks, yes, are very real. In fact, we met one of Clan Mason's very own ghost slitherers, or dream warriors as they call them today, in the temple, where he walked right into our beautiful and fair city as a spirit, came right to our pride's wedding. So yes, they are very real, and they are very powerful. Plus, Clan Mason has a whole team of them up there, ready to help us send those snivelling, male-defiling scum back where they came from. They stand ready to stand with us, and to cast these vile creatures from our beautiful home. So today, all of you will be accompanying us up to the surface, where we will meet up with a squad from Clan Mason, and together we will plan an assault on the forward operating base, with the very intention of destroying the communication scrambler, so we may re-establish communications across our planet and better coordinate our defence, they said. Then the pride turned and ushered smoke up to one of the podiums, and he felt every single set of eyes lock on to him in an absolute rainbow of colours. That's him, the guardian of males, someone hissed. Um, hello, honoured surface stalkers. My name, as mentioned before, is Smoke, and as my beloved wives pointed out, I'm a hunter, a pathfinder of Clan Mason. We came here with one purpose, to help protect the Raptorian people from the Draconis and the Scalathor. But we need your help to do this. We very much wish to both be your allies and hopefully your friends. As my beloved wives have already stated, there are numerous squads of ours up there waiting on the surface, ready to both attack your enemies and help defend your innocent from them. Together, we will ensure that not a single Scalathor or Draconis foot ever falls on the beloved rock of your beautiful cities. Together, we will ensure that the honour and of your prides and your males remain safe in their loving homes, safe in the arms of their beloved females. Together we will show them how strong and united and like any good pride we are, we'll stand together and fight for what is ours, Smoke said with so much passion in his voice that he actually saw tears of joy forming in the eyes of his wives. Suddenly the whole room erupted in roars and cheers as his wives encircled him and took turns in kissing him. After that, Smoke gave the Raptorian surface stalkers a quick rundown on how to identify each of the groups of Clan Mason, what they looked like, what their armour looked like, and how to approach them. He also promised to supply his people with their language so they could easily communicate if Jack Mason hadn't already done his dream warrior thing already and spread it just like he'd done with the Serpentinus. So very soon, they were ready. All the surface stalker prides had gone to the armoury and had drawn weapons and armour. Then together, they headed to the elevators that would lead them to the surface ports. Smoke closed his helmet and double-checked his weapons for like the fifth time as the elevator took them to the surface. He was in one of five large elevators, each holding about 24 Aptorians. He was having to stoop somewhat because of the low ceiling. Plus, having his pride packed tightly around him, it was somewhat of an uncomfortable ride, to say the least. 
He could see his own pride and the other surface stalkers all checking their weapons as well. The Raptorian firearms were interesting things. Ballistic weapons designed to have variable charge caseless shot, so they could easily switch from subsonic suppressed fire to supersonic full power flyer on the fly. It explained to him that they used a super light aluminium steel cord round, which could be made to go fast enough to defeat the armoured scales and bodies of a lot of the surface predators. Though there were some that only the heaviest firearms could penetrate, like the one that Seema was currently holding. It was a rifle as big as she was, with a wide polymer encased bullpup design, putting all of the moving parts and weight in the rear of the weapon. It also had a long barrel that was longer than it appeared, due to the fact that a decent amount of it was hidden under the casing. Also had a huge round suppressor on the end of it. Seymour had explained to him that when he, she caught him looking at the weapon, curiously, that it was an anti-material sniper rifle, designed to punch through even the tougher armoured hides and scales. The suppressor on the end was also modified, so when the rounds were fired subsonic, it acted as a suppressor. But when in supersonic mode, the suppressor opened vents along the sides of it, so instead of trying to suppress the shot, it simply acted as a stabiliser by venting the gases out sideways, instead of behind the projectile so it essentially acted like a muzzle brake to stabilise the round in flight. All the other surface stalkers who hadn't seen Smoke's weapons before were fascinated by the railgun slash contained plasma weapon, obviously trying to compare it to their own battle rifles, which they called multi-stage suppressed protection rifles, or MSSPRs for short. When he'd handed round one of the tungsten projectiles that his own weapon fired, they were all surprised by the weight of it until they found out how it worked and what kind of power it could generate and then they were generally sh genuinely shocked and somewhat sceptical. Wolf Can Mason's firearms had been designed and produced in Citrus and Yoshi's Hive by one of the very own Xeno engineers and R&D science teams. But before any weapon found its way into the hands of a single hunter, seeker or saviour, or indeed battle angel, they were rigorously tested by both the Grand Matriarch and Patriarch not to mention head tamer Ryan Mason and head saviour seller Aleth Mason, to show that it was not only fit for purpose, but safe for their warriors to use. These rifles were multi-use, combining powerful long-range stopping power of the railgun and the shorter range, but no less powerful plasma projector. There was even a few models floating about, almost used exclusively by saver snipers, it had pretty much all the plasma parts removed in favour of a far longer barrel with more coils that used a larger and heavier round to fill the role of an anti-material rifle. It was said that after the Grand Patriarch and Matriarch tested that variant out, immediately after only firing a single shot each with the massive weapon, they immediately banned the whole clan from using it for hunting, as it could simply drop a dino dozer with a single shot from three miles away, and therefore, in their words, violating the rules of a fair hunt. The surface stalkers also carried a variety of bladed weapons, some favouring smaller daggers while some seemed to be carrying full-sized swords of rather interesting designs in scabbards mounted on their backs or at their hips. His wrist blade seemed to fascinate them, as did his combi stick. But the star of his show was his smart disc. The thought of a flying bladed weapon that was controllable with an edge that was strong enough to cut through just about anything truly blew them away. 
Finally, the elevators reached their destination and the doors opened, spilling the surface stalkers and smoke out into the larger hangar-like area. There were numerous other surface stalker teams here, guarding the entrances as well, sending equipment and a variety of what appeared to be vehicles up and down the freight-style elevators to what must have been engineering teams waiting below. They all looked curiously up as the larger group headed towards one of the large blast-style doors, with smoke directly at its centre. seemed that the female protective instinct was pretty much hardwired in, as even though he was already surrounded by his own pride, the other prides in his group had, ha- had formed themselves up into an even larger circle around them, placing as many layers of protection between the only male and any source of potential danger as they could. Which, given that he stood about a foot taller than they did, was kind of a moot point in Smoke's opinion, but it wasn't like he could stop them, really. One pride headed over to the gate guards and handed them their orders. They looked at them and then looked at Smoke before obviously protesting the fact that they were taking a male out onto the surface. But the argument was quickly silenced by the pride showing them a signature on the orders. So, rather reluctantly, the gate pride headed inside the hut and using a set of controls designed to only be used by a team of people, began the procedure of opening the doors. And almost immediately the large doors began to retract slowly up, letting sunlight filter into the artificially lit cavern. No sooner had they stepped outside than Smoke could see why the Scalathorn Draconis hadn't found this place yet. It was completely camouflaged to the point of even standing directly in front of it. He simply couldn't tell that it wasn't a moss-covered cliff face. Weapons up, spread out, Fippy's pride ordered, and instantly the other surface stalkers' prides fanned out in a large offensive circle. Smoke's sensors were now up and online. He scanned not only the tree line of the higher part of the jungle that they seemed to be in, but also further out, watching the treetops for any sign of movement. He also used his thermal and electrostatic views, which highlighted numerous creatures all around them that were pretty much naked to the invisible to the naked eye. Almost instantly, Smoke's plasma casters reacted to the potential targets and popped up on their gimbals. They turned to track the nearest concealed creature and began to spin up as his laser targeting marked it. Easy, Smoke. It's just a winged lemur. It won't hurt you. Though I must confess, I'm impressed you actually saw it, Fippy said, touching Smoke's arm gently. Smoke powered down the casters and cancelled the targeting, marking the casters' power down and causing them to retract. Told you this mask of mine is good for picking out the unseen, he said, tapping the size of his visor. Evidently, she said, and then using a series of coded hand signals, she and his pride sent out scouts in every direction, who began reporting back using equally complex signals. At the silence from here on out, unless it's an emergency... She said to Smoke, and just like that, they were off. The group moved in such utter coordinated precision that it was absolutely re- reminded Smoke of the Xeno Hive, and one of the queens decided to pull some strings using her telepathic link to settle an argument between her children. They stayed off the game trails, instead carving their own path of the incredibly thick undergrowth. He knew this world would prevent them from being seen by the Draconis aerial patrols, which every so often caused them to freeze and seek cover while Smoke simply activated his cloaking tech and silently observed them wheeling through the sky high as high above them. 
Very soon they began to stumble across the evidence of Scalafell casualties that had run afoul of both the local fauna as well as traps and ambushes set by the Raptorians. But while every abandoned Scalafell corpse they found filled him with a sense of joy because it was direct evidence of the resistance being mounted, it also filled him with a sense of sadness because most of these women were simply soldiers and their bodies had been abandoned by their so-called comrades to be devoured by the fauna or reclaimed by nature. They also stumbled across some very stark reminders that this was indeed a war for this very soil when they found two massacred Raptorian prides. Their bodies were littered around a single area which told smoke of their refusal to abandon either their dead or wounded pride sisters, that they then then had met their end as well. After checking the area was clear, the surface stalkers set about retrieving their identification tags and marking their position so their bodies could be retrieved for burials later. Go with the great tree, beloved sisters. Let the warm sun-bathed fields of the eternal garden welcome you to your final rest. Vippy and the other said while Smoke himself said a prayer to Pyre to guide the brave fallen warriors to their eternal hunt. It took the better part of a day for the group to make the trek across the jungle from the underground entrance to the meeting place that the Grand Patriarch had designated. Their path had taken them pretty close to the central FOB and had given them a good view of the place. The walls were pocked with evidence of numerous firefights and Smoke instantly noticed scorching from some plasma-based weapons which made him smile, as it meant his people had also been involved in those battles. Clan Mason was up and fighting. But he also noticed something that filled his heart with dread. Some of the leaves were bathed with splashes of bright neon green. That's Yejuta blood, he said, pointing to it even as his analyzer picked it up, and he sensed a bit of worry among the surface stalkers around him. Don't worry, Clan Mason won't fall easy. We go down fighting. And given that there are no bodies or drag marks, the wounded got out on foot. Trust me when I say it takes more than a few gunshots to even slow down a Yejuta. You'll see why when you meet them, Smoke said confidently. The group moved off and headed towards the mountain their Grand Patriarch had designated the RV point. As they drew closer, Smoke saw something that made him smile under his mask. How much longer till we reach your people? One of the surface stalker prides asked as they clambered up the steep fern-covered verges leading to the base of the cliffs. Oh, they're watching us right now, Smoke said, and those six words made every single surface stalker stop and take up a defensive position all around him, scanning both the trees and undergrowth with their weapons in the aim. Where? One pride asked. I don't see anything, another said. That's kind of the point, Smoke said, then he stepped forward, put out his arms to his side. When the darkness comes, he said loudly, we are the light that shines. A deep gravelly voice from the tree directly in front of him said, finishing the hunt, a countersign. And with that, a heavy thud that both crushed the undergrowth underfoot and sent leaves flying into a as a large shimmering figure dropped out of the tree, landing right in front of smoke. As the figure began to decloak, the Raptorian reaction was pretty much instantaneous. His own smoke pride pretty much surrounded smoke in a protective circle and trained their weapons on the large golden figure while all other pride created an even larger circle doing the same facing outwards and the others inwards pointing their weapons at both the jungle and the figure at the same time easy girls 
He's Clan Mason. And he's also not alone. You might want to lower your weapons. I don't want any more misunderstandings that wind up with people getting punched and winding up underground or worse, shot, Smoke said. And at that point a few of them were marked by Tri-Dot laser markers. Slowly the Raptorians lowered their weapons as Vippy's pride issued a whistle. As they did, the figure in front of them lowered his mask and revealed a very familiar face to Smoke, causing him to do the same and revealed a sm- huge smile planted on his face. Aramek, it's good to see you, brother, Smoke said, stepping forward and embracing his fellow Pathfinder, who returned the ha- embrace heartily. And you, crazy woman, we thought we'd lost you for sure when Seeker Diamond Scale told us of your fate. The large Yuta male said, picking up smoke and squeezing him enough to make his armour creak and his pride nearly freak out. Well, the Grand Matriarch always said that all I had to do was land on my head because it was so thick it would save me from any fall. Smoke said, grinning as his old friend put him down and roared with laughter before clapping him on the shoulder loudly. Looks like she was right. He should always trust the words of the Grand Matriarch, Aramek said with a huge grin on his mandibles before turning his attention to the small group that had now formed around them both. So, these are the Raptorians we keep hearing but never seeing, then. Gotta say, these little fellas are good at hiding. They've given all the prey species on our homeworld a run for their money, I must say. We keep seeing them spark up an assault, but by the time we get anywhere near them, they vanish like a fart in a storm. Armak said, grinning down at Vippy, who was looking up at him in astonishment. Actually, they're all girls, Armak. Oh, introductions then. Armek Vandalfor, the proud pathfinders of Hunter's Clan Mason. Let me introduce you to the proud Raptorian surface stalkers. And more specifically, to my own pride. Vippy, Seema, Uwe, Skiva, Lima and Frida Ringtail. My wives and pride, Smoke said, making the huge Jujuta's eyebrows shoot up so high they nearly disappeared into his mask. Suddenly a shape came out of the undergrowth, moving so fast until smoke was in the air in a tight hug and nobody saw it. There you are, thank the eternal huntress. Thought we'd lost you. Couldn't believe it when the Grand Patriarch found you on a soul walk. Seeker Diamond Scale exclaimed, hugging smoke so much to his surprise. He'd never seen the normally stoic seeker so animated. His appearance and actions did cause Vippies and the other to freak out this time because they'd never seen him coming and right under their noses he'd plucked their mail up before they could even blink. And hand our mail! they exclaimed in perfect unison. Seeker Silver Diamond Scale let smoke down and looked at them. Ah, these must be your wives. The Grand Patriarch mentioned that he was a little miffed that he'd had to crash a wedding in his spirit form, and he's still waiting for his invite to the reception to arrive. Seeker Diamond Scale said, his voice playful and friendly. Ladies, I'd like you to meet Seeker Diamond Scale, second in command of the proud soul knights of the Seekers of Truth, Smoke said, gesturing to the blue armoured Seeker. Seeker? As in Dream Warrior? Vippy exclaimed, and Smoke nodded. Yeah, so please don't point your weapons at him unless you want them out of your hands and up your tail all before you can even blink, Smoke said, playfully patting Vippy on the shoulder. To Moke's smirk. Smoke's surprise, Seeker Diamond Skull playfully punched his shoulder before turning the, the pri- turning to the pride and lowering his helmet. Your husband jokes, I'm not that bad. Greetings, Powered Surface Stalkers, I'm Seeker Diamond Scale. Oh, 
Sound, it is our honour to stand here on your beautiful world and help you stand for your freedom and to help you fight these vile invaders. The proud seeker said in perfect raptorian, proving that indeed the Grand Patriarch had snagged their language on his way out the door. Now the tension had been completely broken between the two groups, with not just a single male among them on the surface, but now three. The Raptorians' girls got the instinct, be, instincts got the better of them, and instantly the other two males found themselves completely surrounded by curious Raptorian girls, instinctively trying to protect them. Which, to be fair, was a pretty hilarious sight, with an absolutely huge Yuta male who looked like someone had painted a handsome Yuta face onto a block of black granite under his armour. He suddenly found himself completely surrounded by Raptorian girls, trying to lead him away to what they saw as a safer place. To see this huge seven and a half foot tall Yuta male being manoeuvred around by tiny Raptorians surrounded him, one of which was even brave enough to climb up him like a tree to get a better and closer look at him, was pretty hilarious. And that's when the Xenos appeared. Out of absolutely nowhere, battle angels appeared all around Smoke and tried to shepherd him away for a check-up, as he'd been removed from their sight for long enough for him to become injured. Theirs completely freaked out his pride, as out of nowhere these alien girls had simply popped up, and to them looked like they were trying to steal their mail away. They literally leapt onto him, dragged him down before kneeling on him, despite his protests. They were covering him and protecting him. Easy, girls. These are battle angels. They're the clan mason medics, Smoke yelled in a muffled voice from under Vippy's rear, which planted right above his head. Hunter Ringtail, can you keep your hands off your new wives for five minutes and possibly handle introductions and debriefing, please? A loud, commanding voice carried over the entire scene, making Smoke scramble out from under his girls, having to resort to using his power-assisted movement to actually remove them so that he could snap to his attention. Grand Patriarch, Hunter Samson reporting in as ordered. Smoke exclaimed, saluting Jack Mason himself as he strode to the centre of the group, parting the group of Raptorians with the ease of an icebreaker cut in through soft ice by his sheer presence alone. Who, who is that male? Smoke heard one pride say quietly in awe as their voices obvious. Does he have a pride? Another asked quietly. Hands off, we saw him first. Another hissed quietly. If I were you, I'd put your hands in your pockets and keep them away from him. If his wife, our grand matriarch, sees any of you touch him, new allies or not, she'll feed you your own tail and use you as a rolling hoop. And that's if she's in a good mood. Aramak hissed quietly to whoever had said it. Jack Mason returned smoke salute. At ease, Hunter Ringtail, Jack said, and smoke cocked his head, and Jack's face cracked into a very smile that had melted a thousand years due to hearts, both female and male alike. Well, you are a married man now, aren't you? And from what I've observed, it's customary for the male to take the pride surname. Where you're from. So, Hunter Ringtail it is. He clarified, and it hit Smoke like a slap. He never even thought of that, which, if he was reading his thoughts, made Jack Mason laugh out loud. Calm yourself, young one. Married life has a great many more surprises in store for you other than that one. Trust me on that. Now, kindly gather up your new friends here and advise them against molesting my very married second-in-command before we wind up with angry Serpentinus girls drop-podding into a war zone and save the molesting for the very single and utterly available Huntle Vandal for there. But please keep it for after the debriefing, if you please.
smoke said jack said and with that he stroked back off towards the clan mason temporary command center an unbraided male here on the surface a couple of brides exclaimed in perfect unison and smoke noticed that suddenly armeg looked rather nervous under all all the helmets currently aiming at him and smoke knew of the predator stays beaming through those visors he simply laughed at his huge friend's uncharacteristic nervousness and patted him on the shoulder as he walked past. Good luck escaping this hunt, he said and then gestured for the surface stalkers to follow, which they did, a few far more reluctantly than others, as they were turning to track Aramek as they walked past him. The command centre was little more than a cave they'd set up a cam- in and camouflage, making it invisible from the outside. Hollow projection emitters had been set up to disguise the entrance, and Smoke could see snipers and gun emplacements that were hidden up among the foliage and up over the cliff area. The first thing Smoke noticed was a medical area that had been set up, and was currently a few hunters being treated for wounds by the battle angels who were fussing all around them. He immediately spotted a large Yehuta male with his upper armour off, having a couple of large wounds to his side being treated. You'll notice noticed some of the surface stalk as visibly began to vibrate at the sight. He instantly grasped that this was the group's combat medics. Go on then, go see if you can help, but speak to the battle angels in charge first. They're rather incredibly protective of their patients, and if there's one thing you don't want to do is get in between a battle angel and their patient. It won't end well for you, Smoke said, gesturing to the medical area. Three prides of six detached themselves from the main group and scampered over to the medical area to offer assistance. Initially, the big Zeno saw them covering, coming and made to intercept them before they got too close. But after a brief conversation, it appeared the Zenos were receptive of sharing some ideas. Jack Mason himself stood at the centre of the cage, studying a large holographic image of the FOB and the surrounding jungle. Seeker Silver Diamond Scales strode up and joined his fellow Dream Warrior. A smoke guided, guided the incredibly curious surface stalkers up to the hologram. It had become a bit like herding scaly cats, as he could see the things constantly catching their attention. And in all honesty, they probably hadn't seen so many males in one place before, so for them, so for them this was probably like sensory overload. Ah, good, you're here. Right, well, here's what we know so far. Our team's dropped in roughly here, here, here and here, he said, highlighting the large areas where all the clan mason drop teams were scattered across. The standing orders are without communication, so to dig in and observe while harassing the enemy, with guerrilla hit-and-run tactics on any targets of opportunity that present themselves. As strong as our forces are, we are heavily outnumbered and outgunned here. We personally observed heavy artillery and mechanised vehicles and assault platforms like main battle tanks, heavy weapons emplacements, plus we've also observed the Draconis drop and cluster mines into the jungle around the game trails. We've snagged a couple of them to study them so our sensors can be tuned to detect them. Obviously, we'll share what we have with your people so that we can help you avoid them too. Jack said, pointing to the areas that were speckled with lots of little red dots that indicated minefields. Vippy and the rest of Smoke's Pride stepped up to the others to study the map. Our people stay away from the game trails due to the predator foot traffic among, along them. If you haven't yet encountered our local fauna, and what it can do, I would highly advise you do the same. Our beloved husband here tells us that he has figured out a way to spot some of the more nasty ambush predators we have, using various visual sensor types you have been built into your armour. 
things like Mehmex, which can perfectly imitate any object to blend in with seamlessly with their surroundings, the bride said. Jack Mason looked impressed at this and turned his attention to smoke. It's good to see that this trip in your city has been more useful than a <coughs> diplomatic mission, he said, giving smoke a sly smile that made him flush and a lot of the raptorians began quietly hissing among, among themselves about human males changing colour and how lucky Vippy's pride were. Our beloved husband has been incredibly useful and insightful into both explaining to, to us your ways and your abilities. And first, let me firstly apologise if any of our interactions come across as either coddling or even sexist. We are both highly uncomfortable and unsettled seeing males in combat roles. To us, such things are utterly unthinkable. To us, it's akin to sending children out to fight, and I don't mean that as an insult to you or your warriors. I'm merely explaining our perspective. Our males are simply not cut out for combat. They are weaker than us and far more emotional than us, and simply not enough of them. Being one male to every six to eight females born here, a loss of a single male life to us is a truly devastating one. So please, don't think us disrespectful if we say or do something that might seem sexist to you, the bride said. Jack Mason nodded. Noted, and I appreciate your candour. I assume Hunter Ringtail has taken steps to show you not all species are like this, and that we do the things rather differently? He asked, and they nodded. Not just Smoke's own pride. He's the guardian of males, protector of innocent and senseless. One pride yelled happily from the back. Slayer of vicious and vile male murdering mimics. Another yelled proudly. Jack raised an eyebrow and looked at Smoke for an explanation. I, uh, kind of killed a mimic broke into the recreation zone, which is basically a our grand park. There were a bunch of males and male children hiding in a public toilet from the thing. Spotted it using electrostatic vision. Useful tip. Use plasma on them. Real guns don't work for shit. They're basically a living ball of putty that can imitate just about anything. So slugs punch right through them, doing zero damage, as does a combi stick. And they instantly reform too. But, as I found out, they're very flammable. So plasma lights them up like a living bonfire. Make them cook. The kill from Grand Matriarch's Freedom Day hunt. Smoke clarified. Jack nodded. Pleases me to get greatly to see you upholding the creed of the clan even when you're apart from us, young hunter. And I'm sure the Grand Matriarch would be most pleased as well as our hunters are carrying forward our ideals in protecting the innocent in the name of the clan. You might even avoid doing those push-ups. Jack said, smiling, making Smoke blush and Vippy and the others surrounded and hugged him. Jack turned back to the map again now. Okay. Now, while we have the heavy weapons, tanks is not much of a problem for my Seekers, they are a problem for everyone else. He began before one of the prides cut him off. How the hell can heavy weapons not be a problem for you? They exclaimed, and Jack turned to Seeker Diamond Scale and nodded. Seeker Diamond Scale seemed to flicker for a moment, then reappeared holding something, or rather an armful of some things. Remember those weapons you had? Jack asked, and the pride looked confused before looking down and shrieking that their weapons were gone, at which point Seeker Diamond Scale simply wandered up and handed them back to them. Remember when I said a single dream warrior or seeker of truth was worth a thousand troops? Now you see why. Smoke said, looking at the utterly astonished Vippy with a wry smile. Ghost Slitherers! You do have ghost Slitherers in your ranks! 
another pride exclaimed, and Jack held his hand to quieten down the growing hubbub. We're called dream warriors, almost specifically in relation to Clan Mason, seekers of truth. Both myself and Seeker Diamond Scale here are soul knights. But don't worry, all of that will be explained in due time. There are seekers among and dream warriors among your people too. I awakened some myself earlier today. But anyway, continuing on here, he said gesturing back to the map. The remainder of the debrief went rather smoothly with Jack Mason listening intently to the Raptorians outlining the problems they would face with both the terrain and the fauna. Both agreed that the primary focus for the moment was to either hijack or completely destroy the jamming tower at the nearby FOB. Smoke made it in with his idea before they could destroy it, he should be given a chance to try and access it directly, because not only would it allow them to figure out a comprehensive countermeasure to the jamming, should they set up or indeed have others set up at other FOBs, the Raptorians informed them they'd set, seen a few setups across and they also give them access to the Scalathor mil and Draconis military network in, in response, allowing them to pull valuable intel from it if they could. This could then also be fed to the Raptorian command as well as other Raptorian surface stalker units to help form up their own resistance operations. Jack Mason hardly agreed with this assessment. In fact, he put Smoke in charge of cracking their network when the time came which both pleased Smoke and highly unsettled his pride, which due to his incredibly close proximity to the densest degree of combat there would be. Though once Jack had explained that once the jamming was removed, they'd be able to coordinate their ships in space and arrange not only for combat drops for other personnel and supplies, as well as orbital strikes on key targets, the Raptorians soon caved and saw the wisdom of this approach. Okay. Having studied the layout of the FOB in great detail, our first major obstacle is gaining entry to it. The place is filled with heavy weapons, not only in the towers but also internally as well, with the sole purpose set of repelling any type of invasion, Jack said, pointing firstly to the guard towers along the tops of the walls, but also to the ramparts for troops to fire out of and if need inwards. Vippy and Smoke's pride nodded. The outer wall is also electrified to plim prevent climbing along it, with a heavy plated metal floor to prevent tunnelling, he said, pointing first to the wall and then the floor. Jack scratched his chin thoughtfully and then smiled. Well, that settles it then. We go in through the main gates, he said with a grin, and they all looked at him like he'd gone mad. And how do you suggest we do that then? She, Vippy asked, and Jack gave her a wry smile. Simple. We get the Scalathondra Canis to open the gates and welcome us home like heroes. He said now even everyone, including Seeker's Time Scale, was confused. That was until Jack outlined his idea, and suddenly everyone was smiling. Yeah, I do believe that could work, Vippy said. So then, it's settled. I'll take a Seeker team and we'll take care of that part. Everyone else, I want you to move into position and await our sim signal. When it happens, it'll happen fast, so everyone will be needing to run their asses or tails off. Especially as there's only one bridge to those gates, so it's a very narrow field of fire in there, Jack said, and there were nods all round. Now all they have to do was prepare. Well, that and wait. Yeah, so that was chapter 25, ladies and gentlemen. But will Jack and his people be able to pull off an assault on the Scalathorn Draconis? Or will they be able to repel them? 
And what other surprises do the Raptorian jungles have in store for Clan Mason and its allies? Can only be one way to answer those questions and so many more. Gonna have to tune in next time. So until next time, this is Ghost Nobody signing off and saying, I'll see you all next time.